Welcome to Yale Cancer Center Answers with your hosts, Drs. Francine Foss, Anish Chagpar, and Stephen Gore. Dr. Foss is a professor of medicine in the section of medical oncology at the Yale Cancer Center. Dr. Chagpar is associate professor of surgical oncology and director of the Breast Center at Smilo Cancer Hospital. And Dr. Gore is director of hematological malignancies at Smilo. Yale Cancer Center Answers features weekly conversations about the research, diagnosis, and treatment of cancer. And if you'd like to join the conversation, you could submit questions and comments to canceranswers at yale.edu, or you can leave a voicemail message at 888-234-4YCC. This week, you'll hear a conversation about the nature of cancer cells and lung cancer research with Dr. Katie Politi. Dr. Politi is Assistant Professor of Medicine and Medical Oncology and of Pathology at Yale School of Medicine. Here's Dr. Stephen Gore. So the nature of cancer cells, that's quite a topic we've got tonight. Katie, why don't you start by telling me um, sort of what do you do here at Yale? I understand that uh, you're a PhD and you're in pathology and you're in medicine, so slightly different than many of our guests. Yes, so I'm a cancer biologist and my laboratory studies lung cancer. So we are interested in understanding how lung cells become tumor cells, and once they are tumor cells, the biology of these cells. So why do they grow uncontrollably, um, and how we can treat these cancer cells so that the tumor can shrink and go away. I see. So um, do you work primarily with... uh cell lines or with animals or primary materials from patients? How does that work? So my laboratory is a laboratory that really interfaces basic science and clinical medicine. We uh, do a lot of work in preclinical models, which are cell lines and uh, mouse models uh, of lung cancer. Uh, We do a lot of studies in cell lines because the cell lines allow us to really understand what is happening to different signals within the cancer cells. And they're a little bit easier to work with, and one can do some experiments a little bit faster than in uh, more complex systems. We also use animal models because the animal models really allow us to understand what is happening in the cancer cells really within the organ in which the cancer develops. So we have special models in which we can study a lung cancer that develops spontaneously in the lungs of mice. And so we can study these cancer cells within that tissue in which the tumor develops, in which there are blood vessels, in which there's an intact immune system. So all of the different cell types that you would find in a patient with lung cancer. We also do a lot of work with um, specimens from patients. So uh, our findings in the laboratory uh, are really helpful, but we often want to see whether what we discover in the laboratory is really applicable to patients who have lung cancer. And so we also study patient specimens. (laughs) And uh, one of the things, although I'm a a scientist, a a biologist who uh, has not trained, formally trained uh, in the clinic, I work very, very closely with uh, clinicians here at Yale. And uh, we have joint meetings together so that we can um, together understand uh, what are the things that we need to prioritize to study in the laboratory to really improve treatment for patients. Well, that's fascinating. So uh, do your experiments and your research projects, are they 
uh, sort of do they come basically from the lab or are they sort of stimulated by your discussions with the clinicians? How does that work? I'd say it, it goes a little bit both ways. Um, we some of the some of the molecules that we study in the lab have a, a lot of different partners they work with and, and interact with and signal within cells and so one of the things that we're under very interested in understanding on a basic level is how how these molecules work and so we'll dig deep from a basics really from a basic science way of doing experiments to understand how the molecules function and how they work just because we're really interested in understanding what's happening in those cancer cells. At the same time, though, uh, we the, the ultimate objective of a lot of the work that we do in the lab is really to try to improve uh, therapies. So when we have meetings with the clinicians, we we talk about the best way of, of trying to overcome some of the clinical problems. So one of the issues that we're very interested in the lab, for example, is studying resistance to different therapies. And we know we study a molecule called the epidermal growth factor receptor, EGF receptor, which is very frequently mutated or altered in lung cancer, adenocarcinomas, a type of lung cancer. And there are really good drugs that can block the activity of this EGF receptor when it is mutated in these lung cancers. And this is really um, improved treatment of patients with this type of lung cancer. But we know that within a year, most of these patients will develop drug resistance or that most of the tumors will become resistant to this therapy. And so what we can do, so that's a a huge clinical problem. And so we're interested in really understanding the nitty gritty of what is happening to those resistant tumors and how we can uh, alter that so that we can overcome drug resistance. So that's an example of something that we do in the lab that, that, that we study from a basic biology point of view, but it has an ultimate application and it stems from a problem that is very real in the clinic. Well, that sounds really interesting. And, and, and just to let's backtrack a minute for our less um, knowledgeable uh, audience members, uh, which probably I would number myself among. Um, and so this, this EGF receptor, uh, that's like a receptor for a kind of hormone? Would EGF be a kind of hormone? Is that something we could consider it? So so these are receptors. There's a family of um, receptors of the EGF receptor family. These are receptors for growth factors. They're for molecules that will signal to a cell when it has to grow and divide. And as you can imagine, that has to be a very controlled process because in a tissue, you only want cells to divide at certain time points. So that's an external cue to the cell to grow and divide. However, when you have alterations in the EGF receptor itself, it doesn't respond to that growth factor stimulus anymore. It doesn't need that to signal to the cell to divide. So it's as if... Uh, it didn't really care about whether that growth factor was present or not. And so then the cells can grow uncontrollably. So it's like the on switch is left on, is that right? Correct, correct. To say divide, divide, even without this growth signal or growth hormone. Correct, exactly. If, if you will. Exactly. Okay, so um, that's great. And, um, and so how do these drugs um, mitigate that? 
with that sort of on switch? Do so, they turn the switch off? or So these drugs that um, block EGF receptor, that's exactly what they do. They, they will turn the off switch on the EGF receptor. But one of the great things about these drugs, and specifically this class of drugs, which are called targeted therapies, is that they will zero in on a specific molecule and they'll turn the off switch on that one. So these are lung cancers that have the EGF receptor on switch on, and the drugs are drugs that will only block EGF receptor. And this is really, really helpful because it can limit toxicity that uh, could be instead a big problem of some of the drugs that will target uh, many different uh, cells that, say, are dividing, some of the more generic chemotherapies, for example, that aren't specifically going to stop the on-switch on that one molecule. But aren't there some normal cells that would need this receptor? Correct. There could be some normal cells, but that'll, that, and there is some toxicity. There is some toxicity associated with it. It's just much um, more limited than it is with um, some of the other uh, more cytotoxic uh, chemotherapies. Got it. And, and do all lung cancers have this mutated receptor? So that's, that's a very interesting question. Um, there are many different subtypes of lung cancer, and uh, one of the main subtypes of lung cancer is called lung adenocarcinomas. And these lung adenocarcinomas uh, can have v- different types of mutations that will that are driving the cancer. So EGF receptor mutations account for about 10 to 15 percent of all lung adenocarcinomas. There are other on switches that are turned on in some of the other lung cancers, like KRAS mutations can be present in uh, another subset of lung adenocarcinomas or mutations in other uh, drivers. Okie doke. And um, and you talk about um, resistance to these drugs that are targeting these mutated EGF receptors. Um, Is this kind of uh, resistance... Um, present uh, right from the get-go so the patients won't respond to the drug or is this a kind of resistance that would develop like when you give, I guess, antibiotics to an infection but you don't give it enough or the right antibiotic and then the the bugs become uh, resistant like people I think are familiar with resistant strep bugs Mm -hmm. and things like that. So so in the case of EGF receptor mutant lung cancer over 70% of people who are treated with one of these targeted therapies that blocks EGF receptor activity will uh, show an, an initial response uh, to, uh, to this drug. Um, the problem is that even though the majority of patients initially respond, usually within a year of starting treatment, they develop uh, what is called acquired resistance to this uh, to this treatment, to this therapy. Hmm. And um, in most of the cases, acquired resistance to these EGF receptor inhibitors is due to another change in EGF receptor that doesn't allow the, the drug to work well anymore. And so the, it's, it's as if the, the cancer cell has f- figured out a way of getting around uh, the, the drug. Hmm. So would that be an additional mutation? Exactly. So that's an additional mutation. It's called the EGF receptor T790M mutation <laughs> um, that is uh, found in about 
over 50% of cases of acquired resistance. Hmm. And in the other cases, we also see other ways in which the cells have found ways of getting around the drug treatment so that they can keep those pathways active that allow the continued uncontrolled growth of the cancer cells. Hmm. What, are, what are some of those ways? Some of those ways are higher levels of other uh, genes that are similar to the EGF receptor. Um, and other, other ways are um, changes in pathways that are further down from the EGF receptor so that you have additional mutations that just turn on those growth signals. Hmm. Okay. Wow, those cancer cells turn out to be pretty smart, unfortunately, huh? Unfortunately, they do turn out to be pretty smart, yes. <laughs> cancer cells are, are very complicated, and I think that uh, one of the things that is uh, really um, problematic uh, but also fascinating about cancer cells is, is that it, about cancers in general is that it isn't only the cancer cells that um, will, will change, but there's a whole tumor microenvironment that uh, – and a whole environment in which those cancer cells uh, are forming and developing that also contribute, and there's a whole interaction between the tumor cells and the environment that surrounds them. Hmm. How does that work? Well, for example, there's an immune system, and one can have uh, signals that, an interplay of signals that happen between the tumor cells themselves and the immune cells. And so if the immune system, or that recruits different types of immune cells and or that makes them not work very well, for example. And so if the cancer cells are there and they're sending a signal to the immune cells, not allowing them to function properly, it makes it harder for the immune system as a whole to battle the cancer cells and get rid of them. The other, um, the other aspect of the environment that we have with cancer cells is also that they're blood vessels. And so one of the interesting things is how do tumor cells recruit blood vessels and uh, connect the tumor to the rest of the organism? Well, that's really fascinating, and I'd like to take up some of these topics after our break. But right now we're going to take a short break for a medical minute. Please stay tuned to learn more information about the nature of cancer cells, and particularly lung cancer, with Dr. Katie Politi. The American Cancer Society estimates that in 2014, over 45,000 new cases of pancreatic cancer will be diagnosed in the United States. Pancreatic cancer is the fourth most frequent cause of cancer death. Clinical trials are currently underway at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers such as Yale Cancer Center and at Smilo Cancer Hospital at Yale New Haven to make innovative new treatments available to patients. Clinical trial participation is offered for treatment of advanced stage and metastatic pancreatic cancer using chemotherapy and other novel therapies for the disease. Fulfirinox, a combination of five different chemotherapies, is the latest advancement in the treatment of metastatic pancreatic cancer. There's continued research being done at centers like Yale and around the world looking into targeted therapy and a recently discovered marker, HENT1. This has been a Medical Minute brought to you as a public service by Yale Cancer Center and Smilo Cancer Hospital at Yale New Haven. For more information, go to YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Center Answers. This is Dr. Stephen Gore. And I'm joined tonight by my guest, Dr. Katie Politi, 
and we are discussing cancer pathology. And especially, uh, we've been discussing uh, drugs um, which target mutant receptors in lung cancer. Um, so that's really interesting. Before the break, uh, Katie, you were telling me about uh, the fascinating interaction between the tumor cells and the environment in which they live, including the uh, immune system and blood vessels and so on. So are those other areas, this this interconnection, are these things which can be targeted for treatment as well? Yes, definitely. There is a, a lot of interest in understanding whether certain drugs that can reawaken or reactivate the immune system are useful in the treatment of lung cancer, uh, not only in the case of EGF receptor mutant lung cancer, but lots of other subsets of lung cancer. This is really a new area. There's a lot of exciting work and some very um, exciting clinical trial information that has shown that patients who do respond well to these drugs that target the immune system really respond for a very long time. Mm. So as I was telling you before about how we have resistance that develops within about a year to these targeted therapies, we're seeing something interestingly different in some cases in patients who are treated with immunotherapies where the responses can be very, very prolonged. And so that's a very exciting field of research. We have a lot to learn still, and we have to learn how the which immunotherapies or which drugs that target the immune system would be best uh, depending on the nature of the cancer that is present. So in the case of EGF receptor mutant lung cancer that we're talking about tonight, what does EGF receptor mutant lung cancer do to the immune system? And how could we best harness the potential of the immune system in that case? It might be different for EGF receptor mutant lung cancer compared to lung cancers with other mutations. And I think we still have a lot of work in that area. Well, it sounds like you really need to work with people who have expertise in basic immunology as well as your expertise in cancer biology and then if you want to get into this microenvironment stuff and blood vessels you have to really know a lot or interact with people who know a lot of different things. That's right. So uh, my lab has formed a partnership with Susan Keck's lab here in the immunology department at Yale and so we're really uh, bringing together both of our expertise, she's a T-cell biologist and I'm a cancer biologist, and bringing that together to really understand the basic biology. But then we also meet and we work with the clinicians, like Dr. Scott Gettinger, who is running uh, many uh, of the immunotherapy trials in, in lung cancer, to, to figure out how we can best learn uh, about the immune system in these lung cancers and then learn how to how to treat these tumors. Hmm. What you're describing is really kind of a team medicine approach or team science approach. Definitely, definitely. It is a team science approach. And I think it's the only way that one can really do this nowadays. Um, everybody, the, everybody has different expertise and different models and different systems and different knowledge. And if we all bring it to the table, we can really start to to make significant progress and make it fast. Hmm. Because uh, I think that is one of the one of the things that we'd all like to see is some of our findings from the laboratory really 
translated to the clinic as fast as possible. And um, I think that has happened over the years with targeted therapies. We've seen that um, I'm thinking about one of the changes, one of the alterations that is found in a subset of lung cancers, ALK, uh, rearrangements in uh, the ALK gene. That was discovered in 2007, and the first targeted therapies was a, for, for, to treat that subtype of lung cancer was approved, had accelerated approval by the FDA in 2011, so only four years after its discovery. So mm. now, just by bringing people together, we can really make rapid progress and get treatments to patients fast. Well, it's really exciting that, um, you know, that we have these drugs uh, which seem to be so promising in uh, patients, say, with this particular mutation that we've been discussing. But I'm a little um, discouraged, I guess, uh, to hear from you that resistance will uh, develop for so many people in a relatively brief period of time. Is there anything that's going on that can prevent or delay uh, the development of such resistance? So I'd say that there is... um promise and um, progress in several different areas here. Most of the work recently uh, has really been done in the area of developing therapies to overcome resistance. And so patients who develop resistance and especially those who have the T790M mutation. So this sec- this mutation that changes EGF receptor again so that it doesn't the drug doesn't work very well. So um, there have been new drugs that have been developed that can uh, b- turn off EGF receptor when it has this resistance mechanism. And so those drugs are in clinical trials and they're showing um, very good, uh, very good responses. So patients are responding to those drugs. So I think the, that class of drugs holds a lot of promise for uh, overcoming drug resistance. There are also um, one of the other areas of interest is really studying how we can how we can try to stave off the emergence of resistance and. Uh, One of the studies that we are very interested in and that we um, will be opening here at Yale, it's going to be a big cooperative group study, is to study a drug combination that using our mouse models several years ago, we found could overcome resistance. And this is a combination of a drug called afatinib with another drug called cetuximab. And both of these drugs target EGF receptor. And so um, working with William Pau several years ago, we found that this drug combination could overcome resistance. In the mice. In the mice. And then also in a clinical trial in patients, it had really good responses in patients who already had resistance. Hmm. But now what we've done is we've taken this drug combination and we've tested it in mice from the very beginning and compared it to using Um, the single drug alone that blocks EGF receptor. And we found that resistance takes much longer to occur, and it occurs only in 50% of the mice, only in half of the mice. And so this is a proof of principle of the type of studies and the type of trials that we really need to do in patients, too, to see whether we can use drug combinations like this, or even some of these newer drugs that block resistant disease, if we use them as the first drug um, 
and, and see whether that can really delay the emergence of resistance. So these are all studies that are ongoing that people are really interested in seeing um, whether we can we can stave off the emergence of resistance for as long as possible. And of course, one of the other things that, that people are thinking about and studying is whether we can interface these studies with um, combining some of these, the newest and best drugs or drug combinations to EGF receptor together with immunotherapies. So if we do that from the very beginning, for example, is that an opportunity to get rid, eradicate as much of the disease as possible and really um, really lengthen survival for patients uh, with EGF receptor mm. mutant lung cancer? And does that mean that conventional or what we consider conventional cytotoxic chemotherapy or chemo drugs like most patients or audience members might think about them, are they done in this kind of lung cancer? They have no role to play? Oh, I think... I think there's uh, there there is um, there might be a role for them in certain situations and the in the resistant situation, for example. Um, but certainly, if there's a patient with EGF receptor mutant lung cancer, uh, you'd want to treat them with one of these um, uh, tyrosine, one of these targeted therapies to EGF receptor. Right, you're painting a picture where you'd be using non chemo. Right, with, eventually. Yeah, yeah that's, that's very a... exciting. It's got to be very exciting for you um, to have this observation you made in the laboratory in your animal models now. And you, you said a cooperative group study, which for their listeners means kind of a national study that's done by many centers together. Yes, correct. I think it's uh, it's very exciting. And when I started studying cancer biology and never would have imagined that some of the things that we were working on in the lab would um, really uh, be used in the clinic and be so close to what is what is um, what is being studied and what it what can be done in the clinic have you always been interested in lung cancer in particular I started working on lung cancer in uh, when I started my postdoctoral fellowship at Memorial Sloan Kettering um, before that, I was working on different models of cancer and trying to improve our, our mouse models of, of cancer, um, but was not focused on lung cancer, was mostly focused on breast cancer models. And um, when I went to Memorial Sloan Kettering, I was working in um, uh, Harold Varmus's group there, and uh, William Powell was one of the postdoctoral fellows and was, had just discovered EGF receptor mutations. Uh, in parallel to some groups in in Boston as well in lung cancer. And so that was fascinating to me. And so I I started getting into developing models of this particular type of lung cancer and um, understanding how the cancer cells really became addicted to these changes that were happening in them like EGF receptor mutations, because one of the interesting things is lung cells don't have EGF receptor mutations, right? They don't, they aren't mutated. The mutations happen and lead to the tumor and these cells then change and they really need the continued signal of that, that on switch on continuously. And so one of the things I was really interested in was why do those cells need that switched on because if you turn it off they die now with these targeted therapies so i was really interested in understanding how that happens and um, modeling that in in animals and in cell lines some of our uh, listeners may be concerned when we talk about mutations they may worry that they have these mutations from birth is, is that how this thing arises 
So, so that's a very, very important point because these are mutations that happen just in the cells of the tissue where the cancer is, develops. So they aren't uh, mutations that are present everywhere throughout the body. They aren't inherited mutations. So if someone has lung cancer and they have an EGF receptor mutation, it's only in that lung tumor. It's only in the vast majority of cases, it's only in that lung tumor. And uh, it cannot be passed on to family or anything like that. Yeah. So, so cancer is a genetic disease because at the basis of cancer, there are lots of changes in our genes. But it's not a hereditary disease all the time. Actually, in most cases, it is not an inherited disease. Yeah, I think that's very confusing for many listeners uh, because genetic to them means congenital or right. familial. But here you're talking about genetic in terms of involving genes, uh, but not necessarily they, they can be acquired genetic abnormalities. Correct. And in, in most cases uh, in cancer, that's what happens. The, the mutations, the changes are acquired just in the, the tissue that is uh, developing the tumor. And why does that happen? There can be lots of uh, lots of different reasons for which that happens. It can be due to environmental exposures. Um, such as smoking, for example, can uh. cause a lot of um, mutations. One of the things that is interesting, though, is uh, EGF receptor mutations are most frequently found in are frequently found in people who have never smoked who develop lung cancer. Um, so, so in that case, it's not so clear the reason for which the mutations happen, but. Um, mutations can happen because of environmental exposures. They can happen also because of our cells are very complicated, um, or they're just very complicated. They have to divide. They have to respond to signals. And when these things happen, mistakes can happen as well, and um, changes can occur. Dr. Katie Politi is Assistant Professor of Medicine and Medical Oncology and of Pathology at Yale School of Medicine. We invite you to share your questions and comments. You can send them to canceranswers at yale.edu, or you can leave a voicemail message at 888-234-4YCC. And as an additional resource, archived programs are available in both audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. We'd like to thank the Yale Cancer Center for providing production support for this program, and we'd also like to thank Renee Gaudette, Emily Fenton, and the staff of the Yale Broadcast and Media Center. I'm Bruce Barber, hoping you'll join us again next Sunday evening at 6 for another edition of Yale Cancer Center Answers here on WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas.